Well. <laughs> well, if you're here for the first time, we want to give you a special welcome. And uh, it's our heart's desire that this will be such a unique experience that uh, you won't shake it for the rest of your life. That it'll become the most important time you spend each and every week. For those that are watching us online, we welcome you. Wish you were here. If you can't be here, glad you're there. Uh, hope that you can fully engage during this time. Well, we're closing out the series called The Really Good News. And so to kind of review things once again, we said this whole series was based on one word. It's, it's euangelion in the original. It just means gospel in the way that it's translated in most Bibles or good news is what it means, the, the Greek word. It's used nearly 100 times in the New Testament. For example, we read the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Luke, the gospel of... So you could say the good news, Mark's version, the good news, Matthew's version, the good news, Luke's version, and so on. Each week, we've tried to differentiate between regular everyday good news, which we cannot get enough of. We all want that. The really typical good news is physical. It's things that are happening to us in the temporal or real time. They're circumstantial. It's things from the outside of us. It is personal. Tends to be immediate in its impact. You get good news, you feel good. You know, your, your spirits are lifted. But it tends to have a limited duration. What lifts my spirit today may start to wane, and within a week or two, it may not affect me in a positive way at all. That's just the limitations of good news. Good news is still good. We want as much of it as we can get. But we're talking about really good news in this series, and here's the difference. First of all, it's spiritual. It's eternal, <coughs> not just temporal. It's experiential. It affects us inside, not circumstantial from the outside. It's universal. It's not just good news for me. It's good news for anyone that avails themselves of it. It is also immediate impact, but it has an unlimited duration. Really good news is something can, that can positively affect me now, next month, next decade for the rest of my life. So that's the difference. Now, We've gone through a number of iterations of this today. We're going to come down to the good news about the kingdom or the kingdom of God. Most of us that have read the scriptures at all the New Testament, we know that Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Now, to get started, though, I want to kind of take us in a different direction. How many of you guys uh, either have already or are going to take a vacation this year? Can I see your hands? Okay, nearly everyone. Now, how many of you are, are this kind of person? You're, you're a vacation anticipator. So, man, you're planning months ahead. You're thinking about it. You're pausing periodically, looking at pictures of the place you're going to go. You're thinking about it. When, when things are in the grind stage at work, you're like, yeah, but pretty soon I'm going to be. How many are anticipators, vacation anticipators? Let's see. I know one person is for sure right there. My, my daughter from South Carolina is up here. She is very much a vacation anticipator. <laughs> um, so, when you're picking your place for vacation, I can pretty much positively say you're not likely to visit any of these most unique vacation places like this. Probably not going to go to Syria. Probably not. Probably not going to go here, to this part of Brazil. Pro probably not. Probably not going to go here. Wouldn't it be nice to stay in that little motel right there where all the <laughs> M13 gang members um, dwell as well? 
Now, you're probably not going to go there. So what do we look for when we pick a vacation place? Okay, well, some of us will, well, Randy, man, I, I look for beauty. Okay, but what is beauty to you? Well, beauty to me is a beach, Randy, a beach. Uh, but no, but beauty to you is mountains. Uh, it, it's a lake. It's the Grand Canyon. You know, it, it can be many different things. But typically, we seek beauty. We seek peace, rest, enjoyment, recreation, relaxation, fun. How many, when you go on vacation, you want to have some fun? Can I see your hand? Yeah. You want some good eats, right? Right? You want to be able to eat. And you want to be able to do things at your pace. You just want to do kind of whatever you want to do for a week, for two weeks. For some of you, you go away for a month at a time. You're just loaded with money. You have nothing else to do. Uh, <laughs> but you're just going to do what you want to do, when, how, and that kind of thing. So, what if I were to say to you, when you plan your vacation, when we plan vacations, when we anticipate vacations, and we'll come back to that idea of anticipation later, we're really trying to get a little bit of a sample of the kingdom of God. We're, we're, we're trying to push back from the dark world, like those pictures that I showed you on the screen, and get just one small, imperfect, but close piece of the kingdom of God. How many have ever met people that say, you know, man, I don't, I don't want a lot in life. I really don't. I, I don't. I don't want to be rich. I don't want a lot. The only thing I want, man, the only thing I want, I just want to be happy. How many have met people like that? They act like that's a small thing. <laughs> be happy. Just. They say, just, just be happy. Like that's a real easy, automatic sort of a thing. But they're seeking the kingdom of God. What, what, when a human being seeks happiness, which every human being that is in their right state of mind always seeks to one degree or another, we're, we're really seeking the kingdom of God. We just don't know that. We don't know. Human beings are ever seeking the kingdom of God. That life that we were meant to have, that life that our creator wants us to have, that life, though, that the creator can only give us when we are united with him and his will. You see, the problem with human history is, is, is we we're seeking the kingdom of God, but we're seeking the kingdom of God apart from the king and apart from his rule or his will or his ways in our life. It doesn't work. It's an impossibility. So let's consider a few things. Jesus said these words in Matthew chapter 4. It says, Jesus went throughout all of Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel, there's our word, euangelion, the good news, the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, meaning the kingdom of God, and healing all kinds of disease and sickness among the people. And I think it goes on. People brought to him all who suffered with various illnesses and afflictions, those who had seizures, paralytics, and those possessed by demons, and he healed them. And we know from Scripture that Jesus healed all kinds of people, people that were born blind, people that were born, you know, crippled from birth. Uh, we know that Jesus did things like speak to a storm and stop it in its tracks. We know that Jesus raised people from the dead. And, of course, he predicted and brought about his own resurrection from the dead. 
When Jesus came preaching this kingdom of God to the Jews, the Jews had been wanting the kingdom desperately. They had been waiting on the kingdom and waiting on the Messiah, the king, to bring the kingdom. But they had settled, they had settled for the notion that the kingdom of God is just going to be this geopolitical structure that's going to kind of elevate the Jews and the Jewish nation above the Romans and the Roman Empire. And it was going to be the same kind of imperfect world, maybe a little bit better, but sin, sickness, sorrow, pain, and death, they were probably still going to go on, but, but at least the Jews were going to be geopolitically in a favorable position. They settled. That word settled is something that I want to kind of let sink in on you because what's hap- what happens to us as we go from childhood to adulthood is we start settling. When we were kids, we really understood the kingdom of God. When we were kids, we used these imagination and we, we made make-believe wonderful worlds. We believed when we were small that everybody could be happy, that the world could be wonderful, that we could have anything we want, do whatever we wanted, that life ought to be just one endless joyful experience. We believed that when we were kids, and then we started getting older, and we had our experiences of pain, and we started becoming those that settle. This is probably as good as it's going to get. And when you look at the history of human governments, human governments all through human history are really sometimes pretty bad attempts, but attempts to produce a little bit better quality of life. When you ask this question, where where did this whole notion of kings come from? Does that ever get on your nerves sometimes? Somebody's born with some blood in them, and they become a king or a queen just because they've got certain blood in them. But this really goes back, if you want to trace some interesting stuff, this really goes back to a day and age where people believed that the gods came down and ruled over the planet for a time. And then they interbred with humans and they had an offspring, hybrid children called titans or demigods. And they became the god kings that reigned on earth. Now, we know from Scripture in Genesis 6, these were fallen angels that made it with real humans. But, but this appears to be where the notion of kings came from. These beings originally were genuinely superior because they were half angelic. And they had power that other human beings didn't have. They had wisdom. They had knowledge. And so they were set apart as kings because of power. But after a while, the bloodlines, you know, became kind of diluted, if you want to look at it from that standpoint. And all of a sudden, their power was not so important. So now, if you're just born into a certain family, you may be a pretty average person. But you're royalty. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, we think of this in a different way. We think that, okay... If somebody is going to lead, if somebody's going to rule, there, there should be something. There should be something that qualifies them, right? Now, Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's saying that the kingdom of God was wide open to everybody. He shocked the religious leaders of his day. He frustrated them because they wanted themselves to be insiders and most others outsiders because the other people they felt were not raiding up to God the way that he wanted them to. And Jesus kept saying, no, 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 that's not true. God forgives all of you. There's no sin that you've ever committed that is a barrier between you and him. He loves you. He wants you to look. I'm going to show you how much he loves you. You're sick. I'm going to heal you. You're demon-possessed. I'm going to cast it out of you. He came showing and telling again and again that the kingdom of God was open to every human, that God loved and cared about every human, didn't matter their condition, didn't matter their past. Some of you, that's the whole message for you. Didn't matter their past. He loves you. He wants you. He comes offering complete forgiveness. But he can't give his 
kingship, and we'll talk about that in a minute. He can't give you his kingdom apart from himself and his kingship. And the only thing he came asking is that, will you trust me? Will you be my follower? Jesus was famous for saying, will you come follow me? It wasn't a matter of just trusting him in some sort of a mental, theological construct. It was, are you willing to trust me and for the rest of your life learn to do life the way I design you as your creator to do life? Will you trust me and let me teach you, let me show you how to live? That's what it meant to be a Christian. That's what it meant to be a Christ follower. So he couldn't offer this kingdom apart from his own kingly leadership in our lives. So let's ask some questions. What, what, how, do we, how, do we, how do we come to conclusions that someone is fit to lead? For example, if, if a call were to go out right now, is there a doctor in the house? I'm just curious. Do we have any? Any doctor? Okay, we are in real trouble, man, if we have a medical need. <laughs> but were you a doctor... You know, and there was some serious medical need that occurred. Let, let's say somebody just kind of conked out on the front row. And I said, oh, my goodness, we, is there a doctor in the house? If you were a doctor and you didn't rise to the occasion, you'd be a pretty bad person, wouldn't you? Right? Because if you have the ability to help, the ability to help also brings the responsibility to help or to lead. You see where I'm going with this? If I have the ability to help through my leadership, through my skills, through my understanding, but I don't rise to do it, I'm not very loving. If I'm a lifeguard and the cry goes out, somebody's drowning, somebody's drowning, I'm like, man, I'm partying up here with my friends. I don't really go on. Somebody else save that person. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not very loving at best. What I'm trying to show is this. God, by necessity has to lead. He would not be loving if he didn't lead. He would not be loving if he didn't rule. If he knows what's good for us and wants what's good for us, he has to try to get us to embrace it. Now, at the same time, because he created us as free, free moral beings, he wouldn't be good if he forced us or forced his will upon us, and we know that he doesn't. And so Jesus came then, and Jesus is still present now, offering to anybody freely entrance into his kingdom. But entrance in his kingdom, it's, it's a real experiential thing. It's only to be had as we enter into a relationship with the king, who is Jesus. So I want to show you a couple of verses that I want to try to get this idea of fitness to rule embedded into your minds because it seems like that that's part of the angelic controversy that seems like that part of Satan's problem with God was that he insinuated at least that just because God was the most powerful that did not give him the right to rule over everyone else if he was really loving why wouldn't he let others be equal in power with himself why wouldn't he let others assert their own will that just power is not fitness to rule and it appears that God now has been allowing Satan to do his will we know that's true he's been allowing we rebellious humans to do our will he's not intervening immediately in every circumstance he is not controlling either Satan or us right now he has stepped back and he has allowed the universe to see okay 
If you don't want my will, this is what any other will than my will will produce. But there's coming a time in human history, and we're very, very close to that time, where the opinions of all the beings in heaven and all the beings on earth are going to collude together. That can be a good word, by the way, collude. Collude is not always a bad word. <laughs> collude together, and they're literally going to be insisting, we want you to take that power that you have and we want you to assert your rulership. Let me give you a definition of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the rule of God when his full power is unleashed or available. Some people say the kingdom of God is just the rule of God. But no, 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 that's, not, that's, that's partial. The, the kingdom of God is the rule of God when his full power is being expressed. God's full power is not being expressed right now. If you don't believe me, just, just look, listen to some news on TV, and you'll see real quick that his will is not being done around the planet. So listen to this verse from the book of Revelation, last book in the Bible. Revelation 5, verse 12, it says, Saying in a loud voice, and these are, if you read the verses before it, these are angelic entities and other creatures a little hard to define. Saying in a loud voice, deserving or worthy is the lamb. They're talking about Jesus. He appears in heaven with the scars in his hands and his feet and his side. And he's called continuously the lamb, the sacrificial lamb who lives but who was slain. Deserving is the lamb who was sacrificed. To receive all the what? Now, connect these two thoughts. What, what does it say here? Deserving is the lamb to receive what? He deserves all the power, which shows he is not asserting all the power. But all of a sudden, these voices in heaven, uh, in heaven and you'll see in verse 13, it's human and angelic voices are colluding together and saying, you are absolutely worthy we we know you will use your power right you will use your power only for good they're saying you deserve all power it's not that you have it and you can just assert it any old way you want who was sacrificed to receive all the power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and majesty glory splendor and blessing it goes on then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth. Here we have angelic community, human community, uniting. It's better than colluding. Under the earth, in the sea, and all that is in them saying, to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be praise, honor, glory, and what? Power. Ruling power forever. They're, they're, they're uniting and they're saying, oh, you deserve it. We want you to assert your power now. You have restrained. You have withdrawn your power. You have allowed Satan and one-third of the angels to have their willing way for a long, long time. You have allowed we humans to, to make a wreck of ourselves and your planet. But, but we are crying out for you now. Assert your power we know you can be trusted to use your power. You're worthy to rule, not just because you have power, but because you are, you are holy and righteous and kind and merciful and compassionate and good. You only want what is best for us all the time. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom of God. It's the rule of God. Matthew 24 adds this little bit to it. Jesus said, 
This good news, that's our word, euangelion, this gospel, this good news of the kingdom, the gospel, will be preached throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end of the what? The end of the age will come. We are really close to that. There are people that are working around the clock to take the gospel and translate it into languages of, of various tribal cultures so that everyone can have access to it. So Jesus, it's an amazing thing. Here's this Jewish peasant carpenter just five days before his death, and he's standing there, and he also says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words won't pass away. But he says, you know what? This message that I'm preaching, that I'm teaching about the God, it's going to go throughout all the world. It's going to cover every nation. And then when it finally covers all the world, the nations, then the end of the age will come. And here we sit right on the brink of that. The end of the age is when the kingdom comes in full power, when Jesus starts to take up and utilize his power to rule and to reign and to push against the will of evil, both angelic and human evil. Here's a couple thoughts about the kingdom of God. First of all, it's been sought apart from Christ through all human history. Every form of human government is some attempt at utopia. Utopia is that longing for that which only God can bring. His rule, his kingdom, his will, his ways, the way humanity and life was designed to live. The only way that life can work. But every government, every human government in some fragmented way seeks this but apart from Christ. Can't be had apart from Christ our creator. Jesus exhibited when he healed all the people that he healed, when he cast out demons, when he stilled a storm with a word, when he raised the dead. He was demonstrating when God's will is done, when God's power is supporting his leadership, his rule, there is no suffering, there is no danger, there is no death, there is no agony, there is no evil. Jesus gave an ex exhibition of the kingdom of God. The Jews at that time, like I said before, they were wanting just a geopolitical kind of a improvement in their status over the Roman Empire. Jesus was trying to awaken them. No, he was saying, no, it's not just geopolitical. You need deliverance from disease. You need deliverance from all kinds of evil influences. You need deliverance from climactic things you can't control. All of Jesus' miracles were to show that he could save humanity with his power. His kingdom would bring these things, uh, conditions into our life that we have wanted all of our life. And then lastly, it's offered through Christ. Now, here's the thing. Ever since Jesus came offering that kingdom... In that first century, he has been by his spirit through his people offering his kingdom again and again and again through the ages. And people here and people there and people in this part of the world and that part of the world have been saying, yes, I want Jesus as my king. I'm going to put my trust in him. I want his will. I want his rule. I want his leadership in my life. I believe with all my heart that his rule, his leadership is superior to my will and my leadership. I believe that he knows more about life in every area than I do. I believe that his way is always better than my way, so much so that I'm going to put my trust in him, become his follower, immerse myself in his teaching because I want to live the way he designed me to live. Now, here's where it gets personal. Did I just describe you? Did I just describe you? You were one that says, you know what? 
I don't really care what anybody else does. Jesus, the creator of the universe, the one that died on the cross to demonstrate his sacrificial love for me, he has so won my trust that I'm going to follow him fully. I'm going to follow him freely. I'm going to follow him forever. I don't care if anybody else is following. I want to know his will. I'm going to dig in his word, and I'm going to search for it. I'm going to learn it, and I'm going to live it out. You can watch me. You can just keep checking on me because I'm following Jesus because I really trust him. He's my king. And you can look at my life and you'll know he's my king. Does that describe you? You see, folks, that, that's what it means to be a Christian. We've watered this thing down. We've turned it into some kind of sentimental nonsense. We've turned it into some kind of a theological treatise that we just assent to certain theological facts about Jesus. Oh, he's the son of God. He's the king of kings. He created the universe. He's coming again. He died for our sins. He rose again. Just assenting to those things mean nothing. They are foundational to putting our trust in him. But until we put our trust in him and become his follower, we are not Christians. We cannot derive the benefits of his kingly rule. How can I derive the benefits of his kingly rule if he's not my king? And if I'm not doing his will, if I'm not even interested in his will, obviously I'm, I'm depriving myself of his will. And I'm depriving myself of his kingdom, both now and perhaps forever. So the kingdom has been offered since Jesus in the first century. But it's offered to us in partial form. But we are called to anticipate it coming in full form when it's supported by the full power of God. Anticipation, you told me earlier, anticipation is kind of an energizing, encouraging thing. You know, you're going through the grind at work and you're anticipating your vacation. And it kind of gets you through the day of the week and so forth. I remember when I was uh, uh, an apprentice carpenter. Yeah, yeah, I actually was an apprentice carpenter, believe it or not. We had to go through a four-year apprenticeship uh, to be a union carpenter. And the big goal, man, the big goal was to become a journeyman carpenter. You know, you were a full-fledged carpenter. I, I think I have a picture when I was 22. And I, <laughs> my body's changed a little bit, but my face has always been the same. It's never changed from age 22. <laughs> but I can remember anticipating when they, when they called me apprentice boy, apprentice boy, I think, I'm... I'm going to be a journeyman someday. I'm gonna, now, what I didn't know is when you become a journeyman, it just means you get laid off more and you're on a journey <laughs> trying to find a job. At least I was. I wasn't a very good carpenter <laughs> until I got older and then I got okay at hanging drywall. I was, I'm, I'm, don't, don't think of me as a carpenter. I'm not a wood carpenter. I'm, I'm, I'm a drywall guy, metal studs, acoustical ceilings, that kind of stuff. But anyway... I anticipated that and it motivated me when I would get discouraged. And so... This kingdom of God that Jesus talked about, that he exhibited, he said, you can see what it's going to look like. Nobody's going to be sick in my kingdom. Nobody's going to die in my kingdom. Nobody's going to have to be ever afraid again in my kingdom. And you can enter it now. He, God, he loves you all. He wants you all. It's wide open. But he cannot give you the kingdom apart from his own kingly leadership. Will you trust me? You take me as your king. But once we do that, he wants us to count on it, to anticipate it, just like you anticipate those vacations, just like you anticipate your, your paycheck coming. We anticipate a lot of things, and they, they motivate us, and they strengthen us, and they stabilize us, and they balance us. 
So we're to count on the certainty of this kingdom. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead was the stamp that said, my kingdom will absolutely come and my will will be done on this very earth as in heaven, just as he said in the prayer. His resurrection is the concrete proof of that and we can count on it. The book of Revelation again, chapter 11, 11, verse 17 It says, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, because you have, what does it say? Taken your great what? This is future. This is future. This is is right around just about three and a half years before the return of Christ when this, this goes out. God starts to use his power to break evil in the universe. You have taken, he hasn't taken his great power and begun to reign yet. You have have taken your great power and have begun ruling as what? As king. That's future. But we can count on it now. It goes on. The nations, this is what's going to be happening on the earth at the time. The nations have raged against you, but your wrath has finally come. And God's wrath is literally the removal of his protective restraints, both cosmologically, geologically, geopolitically. I, I can't, can't go into too much now. But, but we think of wrath like he's firing lightning bolts down. Not so. All he's doing is, is keeping us from destroying ourselves and the rest of the astronomical universe from destroying us. Anyway, your wrath has finally come. It is now time to judge all of the dead. To give just reward to your servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and all who honor your name, both the small and the great. And to destroy those who cause destruction where? To the earth. Make no mistake, a time is coming where God is going to take his power to destroy evil. And those who are incorrigibly committed to evil, that time will come. But it has to come. The, the, the kingdom can't fill the earth. the earth. The earth can't be covered with the knowledge of the Lord like the, the seas cover. You can't have safety globally until evil and those that are committed to evil are somehow corralled. The book of Revelation 21 adds to this picture, and I love this, and I go to this portion of Scripture a lot. The apostle John saying, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had ceased to exist, and the sea existed no more. Any of you happen to know how much of the planet the sea covers? 71%. 71% of the the planet. I'm not not talking rivers and and lakes and stuff like that. I'm talking it's salt water. 71% of the planet covered by seas. There's a time coming when the topography of the earth is going to be so different. It's going to have, I'm sure, lakes and rivers for you fishermen and boatsmen. But there won't be the oceans that take up so much geography and and divide us, frankly. It goes on. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, the residence, the home, the house of God is among human beings. He will live among them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. And then the beautiful part comes. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And many of us in here, we've got some tears we need wiped away. Some of us in here, we've got some tears that that only God will be able to wipe away. In finality, probably on that day. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will not exist anymore, or mourning, or crying, or, what's the word? Pain. For the former things have ceased to exist. The Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign how long? Forever and ever. They will reign forever and ever. That's all who say to Jesus now, I want you as my king. I want your will because I trust you. That's the destiny. That's what we're to count on. That's the certainty. You might wonder about that ruling forever and ever. It's like, well, who, who, who are we going to be ruling over? What are we going to be ruling over? Got a picture. That's our Milky Way. Our Milky Way alone, they estimate, has about 100 to 200 billion habitable planets. These are Earth-like planets. The universe has 200 billion galaxies. The Milky Way is our galaxy, 200 billion. There's been about 100, I'm going to mess you up with these numbers, but, but I'm, I'll, I'll shrink it down and it'll make sense. There's been about 108 billion people that have ever lived and died on planet Earth. Jesus said not many will be saved. He was very honest. In the parable of the sower, he says that three-quarters of the people that receive the message of the kingdom do nothing with it. So if you take 108 billion, divide it by 25%, I'm going to round it off to 100 billion, you get about 25 billion people. So I'm just going to suppose, suppose 25 billion humans from all the human history take Jesus as king and enter into this world. Do you, do you know what this could possibly mean? It could mean that each and every one of you, I'm just going to ask a question. How many of you in here, you, you, you have problems just keeping yourself organized to get through a day? Okay. I'm, I'm that guy. You could be, when all the lights are turned on, he's going to change us. You could be literally overseeing eight galaxies based on these statistics that I just gave. Mind you, each galaxy with about 200 billion Earth-like planets in them. Who are we ruling and reigning over forever? I don't know. I'm just saying it's kind of suggestive. So, here's the last thought I want to share with you. Or, or with you here. <laughs> this is where it gets real personal and practical. This is tomorrow, or it's today and tomorrow, and the rest of our lives on this earth. The way to enjoy the kingdom of God every day of your life, and it's the only way, it's the absolute only way, is to make Jesus the king of, can you say that last part with me? Is Jesus king of every part of your life? Because until he's king of every part of your life, Randy, you mean every part? Every part. You don't have to, but you won't enjoy his kingdom until he's ruling over it, until his will replaces our will, we deprive ourselves of the kingdom. Scripture says the kingdom of God in Romans 13, it says the kingdom of God is love and joy and peace. We can't experience those things until every part of our life we submit to King Jesus. Now let's get personal. Do you know, do you know, are there some parts of your life that come to mind? Do you know there's some parts of life that you've been afraid 
You, you, you've been afraid to handle that part of your life Jesus' way. You, you, you feel like, man, I, I don't know what might happen. I might lose this or lose that, or I, and, I'm, and I'm just scared. And he's here today saying, I went to the cross to try to prove to you how much I love you and how much you can trust me. I love you more than you love yourself. I know you better than you know yourself. Let me be your king. Let me be your leader now in every part of your life so that you can enjoy, even in this tough old world, the fullness of my kingdom or the partial fullness of my kingdom now and its fullness ever after. There's a day coming. There's a day coming. We heard it. It's a promise where you're never going to be scared again. You're never going to know the emotion of fear. Some of you, every day of your life, you're a little bit scared. It's going to be gone forever. You're never going to know the feeling ever again, a feeling like you're an outsider, a misfit, like you don't connect. You're never going to feel, again, inadequate, left out. You're never going to feel unattractive or unintelligent or untalented again. It's going to go forever. The day is coming when you will feel just the way your creator always designed you to feel, loved, competent, attractive, he promises that, but he wants to start giving us a lot more than we tend to allow right now because he can't give to us unless we make him king over each area of our life. So, what area of your life, and I'm not trying to be, be harsh, I'm not trying to be morose, I'm not trying to be a downer, I'm just loving you as a friend, as a fellow follower of Jesus, saying, I know this stuff by experience, that every time we trust an area of our life entirely to his will, his ways, it goes good for us as well as those around us. So you're, you've got a moment now. These moments are not easy to capture in life where your heart is sensitive, your spiritual eyes are wide open. If you decide now to give these parts of your life to Jesus, there's a strong likelihood it will hold up. So I'm going to urge you to take that step of trust and do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you know each one of us. You know exactly what it is that's depriving us of your beautiful will and purpose for our life. Give us the courage. Give us the wisdom to this day put that part of our life under your rule, and if there's anyone here that's never, Lord Jesus, seen you in all your beauty and trust, never understood the purpose of life, may this be the day they awaken truly and enter into your kingdom by trusting in you as their king. I ask all this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.